Pope Francis has picked 21 new Cardinals, 16 of which are eligible to vote in the next papal conclave. That actually swells the number of electors to, if my math is right, 133, even though current ecclesiastical church law says there can only be 120. So we have a bit of packing of the College of Cardinals. I'm going to go through some of those cardinals today, express some of my concerns, and talk about what might be inevitable with the next conclave. Definitely, definitely, Pope Francis Bergoglio has stacked, at this point, has stacked the College of Cardinals in his own likeness and image. And if you think anything like I do, that's scary. That's troubling. And I'll explain to you why, especially as it has to do with traditional family, doctrine, and liturgy with the traditional Latin Mass. Before we get into all that, I'd like to invite you to like the video with the thumbs up, share it on YouTube, Twitter, and uh, if you're new, please consider subscribing and make sure you hit the bell and you'll be notified whenever I go live. I just got back from France um, with my daughters. It was an amazing experience, uh, and especially the experience of the traditional Latin Mass in France. And I'll probably just make an anecdotal video in the next few days explaining our experience and the wonderful French traditional Catholics and the people we met uh, along the way in Europe. Okay, before we get started, we will pray the Our Father, the Pater Noster in Latin, and then we'll look at what Pope Francis is up to with his 21 new cardinals. Oremos, nomine patris et fidi, et spiritus sancti, amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fia voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum, quotidianum da nobis odie, et temite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimittimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomini Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, as we get started, you may think, you know, it's no big deal. There's just 21 new cardinals. I mean, this happens all the time. Let's go back in time. Let's pretend we're in a time machine. We go back in time. There was a consistory in which John Paul II made two new cardinals. The name of those two cardinals on the very same day, and I discuss all this in my book, Infiltration. It's key to understanding our church history. Those two new cardinals made by John Paul II, well, there are many, but the two notable, were a Cardinal Bergoglio, you know him today as Pope Francis, and Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. On the same day, both those men were made cardinals. Ask yourself, how would the world be different if those two men were not elevated to the second highest level of Catholic ecclesiastical power and authority? I have the picture somewhere, but I can't find it, of both 
McCarrick and Bergoglio being made cardinals by John Paul II on the very same day, a day of infamy. Let me look it up. Y'all will wait for me, won't you? I'm just going to type it in here. What was the day of that? Maybe some of you in the live chat are, have faster fingers than I do. Ah, yes. Here it is. It was February 21st, 2001. I'll put on the screen so y'all can take notes, follow along the way. February 21, 2001. My keyboard's not working. There she is. All right. On that day, McCarrick and Bergoglio were made cardinals, which put McCarrick in supreme power in the United States, also made him a kingmaker for all the horrible bishops and the corruption we have in the United States of America. That was all because McCarrick was made a cardinal archbishop of D.C. and opened the way for Bergoglio to rise to power and to be elected Pope in 2013. So selecting cardinals is a big deal. Kind of makes you wonder of the 21 cardinals who will be picked by Francis, what will be their lasting legacy in the Catholic Church? Will they draw souls to Jesus Christ? Will they draw people back to the church? Or will they use the money that you put in the plates for crimes, cover-ups, sex vacations, and the kind of trash that we've seen, especially in places like Germany, and some of the terribly embarrassing situations that we lay Catholics and, yes, good, pious clergy have had to endure for these last, I would say, years, but we could say decades completely embarrassing. We love Jesus Christ. We love the sacraments. We love the church. But these wolves in sheep clothing, these hirelings, hurt us, damage us, abuse us, and embarrass us because they tarnish the name Catholic. They infiltrate the Catholic church. So let's take a look at a few of them. Where should we begin? Where should we begin? First off, I got to explain for maybe some people who are watching who are on Catholic or they're Protestants, maybe are Catholic, and you're not quite sure what a cardinal is. All right. In the early church, the clergy of Rome, that is the priests, the presbyters, and the deacons, there were seven deacons in ancient Rome. And then the suburban bishops, those were the bishops in the diocese that were all the way around Rome. They would come together when a pope died. And in the early church, often the Pope died because he was martyred. He was killed for being a Catholic and for being the Bishop of Rome and the Supreme Pontiff of the whole church. They would come together and they would elect the new Pope. When they elect a Pope, they ask him, do you accept the election? At this point, he's only materially the Pope. If he consents to be the Pope, and if he's not yet consecrated a bishop, perhaps he's a deacon or a priest, maybe he is already a bishop, but if he's not, he has to then be consecrated as the Bishop of Rome. So his consent to become the Pope, the Vicar of Christ, entails him fulfilling the function and becoming the Bishop of Rome. 
That's how things happened in the earliest church. As time went on, uh, and those, by the way, those incarnated into the diocese of Rome. Incarnated means that you've been um, officially grafted into the diocese as clergy. For example, you could be incarnated in the diocese of Houston or Los Angeles or New York. They were incarnated in Rome. Those clergy that were officially incarnated were called the cardinals. Now, over time, the Pope would create honorary clergy for Rome. So you could be the Archbishop of Paris, but the Pope would make you, let's say, the uh, Archpriest of St. Mary Major Basilica in Rome. So you would have a honorary or titular incarnation into the Diocese of Rome, even though you live in Paris. Over time, more and more of the incarnated clergy were outside of Rome. They could be the Archbishop of New York, or like I said, Archbishop of Paris, usually major dioceses, or prominent people like John Henry Cardinal Newman in England, who were trusted. So the cardinals are those who are incarnated, brought into the Diocese of Rome, either literally, truly, or uh, through a titular title granted to them. And they get the right and the privilege canonically to elect the next pope. Yes, cardinals can advise popes, but you don't have to be a cardinal to advise a pope. The chief function of a cardinal is that when the pope dies, you get to cast a ballot. And currently, ecclesiastical law is a two-thirds plus one vote in order to elect a pope. I'll put it on the screen. To elect a pope, it's a two-thirds majority plus one vote. That gets you a pope. So that is what a cardinal is. You get to wear red. There are other canonical privileges. I think in the old days, you know, you couldn't just say mass on a ship because ships, you know, move and all that. But I think cardinals had the unique right of being to uh, being able to celebrate mass on a ship. That's all a little bit passe now. Uh, other privileges, I think, for example, cardinals could... Uh, administer the sacrament of confirmation without permission uh, in other dioceses, other things. They basically sort of have a ecclesiastical and sacramental passport all over the whole world because they're deputies and they represent the Church of Rome and the Pope. Now, like I said in the intro, current canon law says there's to be 120 electors. One of the controversial things that Pope Paul VI did, and I'm very much opposed to it and against it, and I explain how he did it once again in infiltration, is he said anybody, any cardinal over one over 80 years old can't vote. If you're 81 years old and you've been a cardinal, even for the past 20 years, you cannot vote on the successor. Why did Paul VI do this? Well, I'll give you what I think is the reason, and that is, during the time of Paul VI, you had a number of cardinals who were very conservative, Some, of, many of whom were opposed to the reforms of the liturgy, uh, the implementation of, implementation of Vatican II, maybe even Vatican II itself. And they were appointed in the old days, Pius XI, Pius XII, some of them during John XXIII. How do you make it so that those old guys from the old conservative pre-Vatican II days, how do you make it so that they can't vote on the next pope? 
You just said an arbitrary age, 80 years old. That pretty much cuts out all the Pius the 12th and Pius the 11th Cardinals. That'll get them out. And then all the new guys who I've appointed myself as Paul the Sixth after Vatican II, they'll be the ones to vote on the next Pope, John Paul I, John Paul II, etc. That's how it went down. And that law is still in effect. So you have Cardinals who are over 80. They're ceremonial cardinals. And when you have cardinals that are under 80, they actually get to vote. And canon law says there must be 133, I'm sorry, 120 cardinals. But Francis has expanded that to 133. Here's the the explanation here on the screen. According to the Apostolic Constitution, Universi Dominici Gregis, only cardinals who have not passed their 80th birthday on the day on which the Holy See falls vacant are eligible to participate in a papal conclave to elect a new pope. The same apostolic constitution also specifies a maximum of 120 cardinal electors who can promote, who, sorry, who can participate in a conclave, but makes no provision in case this number is exceeded. This has often happened, although never at the time of a conclave, end quote. So get this. The law says 120. With these new appointments, Francis is swelling the College of Cardinals to 133. Packing the court. That's what people are saying in the comments. Mary Kay Miller. She's watching on Facebook right now. Packing the court. Exactly. Now, he's Pope, so he can always supersede canon law. That's a Catholic principle. But he is technically transgressing what has been set down previously by John Paul II. Now, here's another good comment right here. Taylor, there are 10 cardinals reaching 80 this year. Yes, that's good. I mean, not good, but um, it still puts us over the number. And I know others could die or whatever. And again, the vicar of Christ can technically, juridically do what he wants. I mean, Francis could just stand up one day and write a motu proprio and say, I think there needs to be 300 cardinal electors, and he could do it. By the way, I discuss also an infiltration because I go through the cardinals a lot. It's a big part. To understand the infiltration of the Catholic Church, you really have to understand the papacy and the cardinals, and so I spend a lot of time on it. Traditionally, there were either 12 cardinals representing the 12 apostles or as much as 70 or 72 cardinals which signified the 70 or 72 disciples of Jesus Christ and also the 70 or 72 judges appointed by Moses to help him rule Israel. So there's always this kind of understanding that there needs to be a limit. And for most of Catholic history, that number has been 70 or 72. It was not till after Vatican II that things swell out to 120 and now getting up over to 133. There it is. Now, if we look at the stats, this is really interesting because it shows, like I said, there needs to be a two-thirds majority plus one vote to elect a pope. Well, how many cardinals are Pope Francis cardinals? How many are Benedict XVI cardinals? How many are John Paul II cardinals? Well, here's the graphic on the screen. I'll make it bigger. Okay, as you can see, Currently, as of May 31st, 2022, 
I'm recording this live. John Paul II has, of all the electors, let me see if I can read this correctly here, 12. There are currently 12 electors that go back to the appointments of John Paul II. And that renders, this is before, these numbers right here, I'm going to adjust the numbers in just a little bit. These numbers you're seeing on the screen are as of today, as if Pope Francis died today, if he did. These are what the numbers would be. Now, when we get to the consistory in August, we will then add in the new numbers. And I'm going to give you the new numbers in just a minute. But these are the current numbers. So right now, we have 12 that are cardinal electors that go back to John Paul II. Now we get to our Benedict Sixteenth electors. Currently, there are 38 electors. Make sure my eyes are seeing that right. Yep, 38 electors. And as of today, that is 32% of the electors for the next conclave of a pope. Now, for me, the concerning number is, well, what number and what percent of the electors are appointed by Francis? And you can see currently there are 67 electors and that makes up 57.3%. 57.3%. Now, if we get back onto the math, a two-thirds majority is a roughly 66-67% majority to elect a pope. Currently, as of today, May 31st, he has a 57.3 appointment. Now, before you get too concerned about this. Remember, it was John, it was Paul VI, John Paul II, and Bennett XVI Cardinal Electors who voted for Bergoglio and gave you Pope Francis. So it's not like there's any assurance that the John Paul II and the Benedict Cardinals are like airtight, conservative, orthodox, traditional cardinals. Far from it. Far from it. But we know for a fact that those brought in with Francis are definitely going to lean towards the Francis agenda, towards globalism, ecumenism, Pachamama, and we could go on. Martin Luther stamps, Martin Luther statues in the Vatican, etc. The new numbers would be 62.4% if we add those in. However, we got 10 going out. So it really brings us up to, I think the number is like 59% or something like that. So it doesn't give us to an exact 66%, but we're definitely at a 60%. Let's just say roughly we're at a 60%. So I'm going to put that on the screen. Boom. Okay, 60% about will be appointed by Francis. So what does this mean about the next election and the next papal conclave? Well, it means the successor will very likely be in the image and likeness of Pope Francis. I've made many videos saying who I think will be the next Pope and who I think will not be the next Pope. I famously or infamously, back in 2013, wrote and podcasted that I thought the, the front runner for the papacy in 2013, I honestly 
wrote this and went on public record that it would be Cardinal Burt. That is how naive I was. And one of the things you'll notice if you watch the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast, I constantly reference my mistakes and errors in the past and try to correct them. I can't sweep them under the rug. They're out there in public. But I honestly believed Cardinal Burke had a strong, strong chance of being elected Pope. And I thought he'd be a Leo the 14th. And boy, oh boy, was I wrong. And for the past 12 to 24 months, I have been on record in the public saying that I believe Cardinal Turkson will be elected as the new Pope. So far, my picks have been horrible, been totally off. So take it or leave it. But I think Cardinal Turkson will be the next Pope. And the reason I believe that is he's very closely linked with Davos, with globalism, um, with uh, Schwab, with the powers that be, with China, with the diplomatic arm of Pope Francis, and I think the fact that he's from Africa, in the Vatican mind view, gives him a certain um, diplomatic, hmm, what's the right word here, protection, because he's from Africa. How dare you, can, how dare you, you evil racist people, how dare you to say anything critical about an African? I think that's one of the ways that they think. Um I think they also think Turkson is controllable. And that's another reason why I think Turkson will, will maybe be elected. Um, I also think that it's probable that the next Pope will choose the name John Paul III. I think John Paul III is maybe a Francis II. Um, but I think a John Paul III is very likely because there's this idea that popes haven't been popular under Francis, and they haven't been popular under Benedict XVI. So let's go back to our last popular rock star pope, John Paul II, and let's do a John Paul III, and we'll get all that JP2 energy, JP2 generation rallied around this next pope, and he'll use the name uh, JP3, John Paul III. So I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. I think Turkson will be elected, and I think John Paul III is the most likely name. Um, but who knows? Who knows, the, card, the College of Cardinals. If that mystery Demos report that I read about two weeks ago um, has any popularity and any sway amongst the Cardinals, uh, that reveals that there are many Cardinals who are concerned about the pontificate of Francis and uh, may make a turn to the right. But who knows? I suspect that we will have an older Pope, I think, People are saying Tagle. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring uh, De Crevy back in here. There's just no way Tagle is gonna. Uh, his health isn't well, and uh, I just I, there's just no way he's not. He doesn't have a presence, and he's not. Have you seen Tagle dancing? No, there's no. I I think it's super low chance that he's elected. Someone said this isn't Top Gun too. I have no idea what that means. Um. If that Demos report has sway with the Cardinals and they're unhappy, perhaps there could be a turn to the right. But you have to ask yourself, who would that candidate in the College of Cardinals even be? I mean, Burke is so 
uh, pushed aside and so ridiculed in the College of Cardinals. I just, I don't, of course, the Holy Ghost moves where he wills and breathes where he wills. So that could be, but I really think it's going to be a Bergoglio friend. And there's another wild card on the table, and that is that Bergoglio has cancer and that he might just resign and then live and watch the conclave. And then he can affect it in his own life. That's another wild card possibility. Okay, so let's look at some of these Cardinals, the new Cardinals coming on the scene. From San Diego, Bishop McElroy. This guy uh, defends Nancy Pelosi. He says, uh, you know, Corleone shouldn't be weaponizing the Eucharist. Uh, he supports openly the ordination of women to the priesthood. Uh, he says that we should give Holy Communion to politicians who not only vote for, but support the legalization and the tax funding of abortion, the A-word. That's Bishop McElroy, San Diego. He's a close friend of Slim Jim Martin, James Martin. Uh, promotes his book on building bridges. I think he even wrote a blurb for it. And uh, it's a slap in the face for a lot of people. I heard from people this past week saying, you know what? That's it. I'm no longer giving. I've been feeling it for a while, but seeing Bishop McElroy appointed as a cardinal, for me, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. And I've been saying for a long time, do the great Catholic migration. Many of us overestimated our ability to change the local Novus Ordo parish. If I just get on the parish council, if I just volunteer, if I'm just a lector, if I just take Father out to breakfast, we can move things. We can have ad orientum and communion on the tongue and a little bit more Latin. And we learned, 99% of us, that's not happening. Right now, especially if you have children, making the great Catholic migration to a traditional parish with good sermons, uh, being able to trust what you hear in the confessional, uh, reverent and beautiful liturgies that are honoring to God, catechesis for yourself and for your children. These are the things you need to seek out. These are the things with our money and our time and our talents we need to support, grow, and build. We traditional Catholics cannot fight, we cannot fight each other over petty items. Can we debate important issues? Yes, with respect, with charity. But the pettiness and the fighting, that's got to stop. We need to build a culture. We need to build a society. The seeds of the future of Catholicism is going to grow out of whatever we can build right now by God's grace and by the influence of the Holy Ghost. We need to come together and build that. We need to build Catholic schools. We need to build Catholic orphanages. We need to build Catholic monasteries and convents and support the good seminaries and the good bishops and the good priests. We have to build this. Fighting and retreating, that's exactly what Archbishop Roche and McElroy and James Martin and Supich, that's exactly what they want and expect from our people and our movement. No more. No more. Let's swallow our pride. 
let's unite the clans. All right. So McElroy, classic conservative. And what I see happening here is, look, Francis on the East Coast. Who's he got? He's got Big Tobin. There's Bishop Tobin, and then there's Big T Tobin. That's Cardinal Tobin. He's the nighty night, I love you tweet that he thought was a text, but it went out as a tweet. And he said it went to his sister, but we're not so, I'm not so sure about that personally. Also had a model living with him, a male model. Uh, he's got that on the East Coast. He's got Cardinal Gregory, Wilton Gregory in D.C. He's got Dolan in New York, who's, for all intents and purposes, on the outs of the power brokers amongst the Cardinals. And then in the center of the United States, we got Cardinal Supich, who really is the, the kingmaker, who really is the linchpin and the point man for Francis in America. You got to understand that. When Supich says something in America, that's the voice of Francis into America. You have to understand that. And now out on the West Coast, you know, there's been Archbishop Gomez in L.A. He's never getting the hat. He's never getting the red hat. He's never going to be a cardinal. And then you have Corleone up in San Francisco. He just put the smack down on Pelosi and liberal politicians. And he's been kind of hung out to dry. And now that West Coast vacuum, now we have, or we're going to have, unless God intervenes, Cardinal McElroy. He will be that West Coast balance. Because right now, Francis doesn't have the power out on the West. He doesn't have red hats. Cardinal electors on that West Coast. And that's going to influence how bishops are chosen and how bishops change their behavior and their messages in order to conform with that red hat cardinal. You know, we should watch Archbishop Corleone in the days that follow, how that works. Are the bishops on the West Coast going to totally abandon him? How will someone like Bishop Barron, who's in Los Angeles, Santa Monica, how is he going to conform to the new power structure in California with a Cardinal McElroy? These are things that we all need to watch. Let's look at another appointment. We've looked at McElroy. To me, I knew this was going to happen, but the most difficult one is Archbishop Roche. He's a man I've met personally. I've spoken to and asked questions. He probably doesn't remember me. Um, I once was invited to a meeting at the congregation in which he works now for liturgy, for rituals. He's very much in the Anibal Bunini school, very much in the uh, liturgical movement. Uh, when I heard him speak, I heard him first person praise mass facing the people, ridicule ad orientum, praise vernacular. Um, and also heard him talk about, I think, the need for new kinds of of music and singing and all that. So he's very much in line with Pope Francis that you have to take the Novus Ordo mass and you have to enculturate that Novus Ordo mass, not so that it's Roman or Italian or European. Oh my heaven forbid. 
No, you you take that Novus Ordo missile and you, you embed it into Argentina and you make it Argentinian and you embed it in all these places and you 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 let those cultures transform the Novus Ordo. It's the it's what I call the Novus Novus Ordo. It's not the reform or the reform, which is more of your Bennett the Sixteenth view of the liturgies. We'll take the Novus Ordo and what we'll do is is we'll sort of we'll graft it onto the 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 roots of the traditional Latin mass and we'll have it grow from there and, and have that shape and be informed by the roots of the traditional Latin mass and we'll reform the reform and bring things back to, you know, decency and reverence and maybe have a little ad orientum and you know, maybe maybe these little sacred digits might come back together every once in a while. No. Archbishop Roche wants the Novus Novus Ordo. And by the way, I just want to say out front, I have nothing against the traditional Latin Mass having flair of the local area. That's definitely the case. When I was attending Latin Mass in France last week, there was definitely French elements certain customs that I don't see in Texas. That's legit. That's fine. The art, the saints, even some of the things in the liturgy were distinct. They were uniquely French. Cool. That's great. What I don't want to see happening, which I don't think is traditional Catholicism, is that local regions get to change the rubrics, the text, and the principal elements of the architecture. Like having an altar off to the side, which I've seen, not in Latin Mass, but Novus Ordo. Instead of being in the middle, things like this. Candlesticks all over the place instead of on the altar. You know, we got standards. So Archbishop Roche is part of that Pope Francis, Bergoglian, Bugninian understanding of liturgy and he'll be a cardinal now he was already made prefect and that means he has the power he's instrumental in traditions custodis the restriction of the traditional latin mass and sadly the fraternity of saint peter instituted christ the king and the other former ecclesia day bodies are going to have to submit their questions their permissions to the congregation for divine worship and discipline of the sacraments. And that ultimately is going to be decided by Archbishop Arthur Roche. That means you have someone who is of the modernist persuasion regarding liturgy now overseeing ultimately the traditional Latin Mass communities. Now there seems to be sort of a standstill. There's kind of silence. Everyone got all worked up. Traditions custodis. Nothing seemed to change. We got through Holy Week. Are we okay? We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see as Roche gets that red hat. It's also interesting is when you get a new Pope, he can always fire Roche and put in someone else, but He's going to form the way liturgy is expressed all over planet Earth. All over planet Earth. And you can be guaranteed that the promotion of Latin, Gregorian chant, 
ad orientum and communion on the tongue will not be promoted by Archbishop Roche. Not going to happen. Now, the third one is a Brazilian cardinal. Let me uh, look up his name real quick. Here he is. Archbishop Leonardo Steiner of Manaus, Brazil. He will also be a cardinal. And according to LifeSite News, I haven't followed Bishop. I've, I recognize the name, but I don't follow him out. He is vocally tolerant of pride, LMNOP, alphabet soup agendas. And this shouldn't surprise us because Francis does promote James Martin. I mean, James Martin is the most vocal. He is the most visible. So to see other bishops being promoted with that agenda just confirms everything we already know about Francis. I've been saying it for months. Francis is the kind of guy who does exactly opposite of what you would expect a pope to do. Sadly. Sadly. All right, I'm going to take a few questions on this. Let me see if I got all my notes knocked out. Yes. Okay. Um, I will be doing some shows hopefully this week on um, my experience of the Latin Mass in France, some ideas. Uh, I'm going to talk about this tabernacle that was stolen. I mean, can we please bolt down our tabernacles for crying out loud? For the sake of all that's holy, literally the Eucharist, can we please secure tabernacles and have some security? I mean, the Eucharist is worth more than the Pink Panther Diamond. Can we act like it? Uh, and some other great shows coming up. I've been, uh, as you know, last week, all the shows last week were pre-recorded. I did them before leaving while we were overseas. Um, so I'll be back live uh, this week with many shows coming up. Okay, so I see some good comments and questions already coming in. Uh, just some housekeeping. Please use a question mark because there's 1,557 of you live right now. And um, if there's not a question mark and I'm just scrolling, it's hard to see what's question, what's not, because there's dozens of comments coming in. Um, if you do a super chat, I will try to privilege your super chat. And if I recognize you as one of the Patreon patrons, I will also privilege your chat. And that's a good opportunity now for me to say, if you want to support this channel, the work I do, the new book that I've just written, um, final edits went in yesterday and I will be announcing the title of the book hopefully the book cover, the topic, and everything about that. Uh, so the people who support my work on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Marshall, you support this podcast and you support my writing projects. Um, please go to patreon.com forward slash Marshall. You can get, I'll send you signed books to thank you, merch, all kinds of stuff. And you can be one of the generous patrons that makes all of this possible. Patreon.com forward slash Marshall. And if I see your name here as a Patreon, I'll privilege your question. Okay, jumping into the question. Here is a question from tradi uh, traditional Thomist question. What can we do to fight this? I would encourage everyone to read the last chapter of my book, Infiltration. It is my layman's suggestion on how to fight this. I talk about the book of first and second Ezra's or Ezra and Nehemiah. And during that time, Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. There was no more 
God um, ordained liturgy going on at the temple in the Old Testament. And so the men worked together rebuilding the temple while other men stood at the walls with their weapons and laid bricks. They had swords, spears, shields on them as they're building. And I said, this is the, this is the analogy. This is the vision that we need to have. We need to rebuild what it means to be a Catholic. We got to get bricks and build them, stack them. We got to rebuild the temple. That's the liturgy. We got to rebuild the walls, right? That's the structure of the church, safeguarding the church from our enemies. But we can't just do it without weapons because the enemies of Israel were coming and raiding them. They had to be ready at any time to drop the bricks and fight off the enemies. And what are those weapons? It's sacraments. It's the rosary. It's the word of God, sacred scripture. It's catechesis. It's supporting our generals who are orthodox, solid priests, bishops, our leaders, our religious, the scapular, the novenas, the devotions, the penance, the fasting. All of these things are the weapons that we have to keep in our hands while we rebuild the city. If you want that full vision, see the last chapter in Infiltration. All right, that's a good question. I like that one. All right, I saw a super chat. Jump in, let me find it. Where are you at, super chat? Maybe I didn't see it. See, there's so many. Oh, here we go. Uh, this is just Anthony Souza. Thank you for the super chat. I don't see a question, but props to you. All right. Uh, John Logan. Should we call on Cardinal Burke to answer Archbishop Vigano's call to investigate the 2013 conclave? Absolutely. I've made an open letter to Cardinal Burke with as much filial piety and devotion as I can. We need to begin the investigation and the process regarding the 2013 conclave and actually there's three things that need investigation how and did Benedict XVI resign was his resignation valid and was it coerced those are two questions that we need to investigate number well okay number three the 2013 conclave was it coerced contrary to canon law was there lobbying going on? What was the role of the St. Gallen Mafia? And then question four is one that I've been talking about now for about a year. And that is, is Pope Francis a formal heretic? Has he lost the papacy? Did he ever have the papacy? Does he need to be admonished by the cardinals? Does he need to be admonished twice, according to Cardinal Bellerman? And then if he is actually a formal heretic, uh, he needs to be declared deposed by his own um, manifest heresy. Four important questions. I can't do it. I'm a dad on a webcam sitting in a room above his garage sweating because it's so hot in Texas right now. I can't do it. I can read. I can get out my Cardinal Bellerman translated by my friend Ryan Grant Tome 2 on the church and I can read on uh Book one, chapter nine, on how cardinals can intervene with a tyrannical or 
heretical pope. And I've done the process. I've read the process for you, but I can't do it and you can't do it. So yes, we need Cardinal Burke or any other Cardinal to initiate that process on any one of those four questions would be great. Would be great. I personally think the fourth one is the most pressing and in our face. And that is, is Francis Bergoglio an idolater, a worshiper of Pachamama, a syncretist, an idolater? And is he a manifest and formal heretic? I can't make that decision. I'm just a layman. I'm just a dude. Yes, your eminence, Cardinal Burke, please begin that process. Good question. All right. If there's any more Super Chats or Patreons, I'll focus on those. And by the way, I may not recognize you as a Patreon, so the honor system, just put in there with your question, Patreon in all caps, and then I'll know you're a Patreon. But please be honorable and don't manipulate the system. Uh, I will I will go to those Patreon comments. All right. Um, Mark Tezik. He says, what is the status of the 300-page red dossier? I discussed the red dossier in Infiltration. It is the investigation made by three cardinals for Pope Ben XVI investigating um, scandals amongst the higher clergy, cardinals, prefects, congregation workers, uh, sexual immorality, financial immorality, etc. It was presented allegedly to Ben the Sixteenth, and uh, in 2012, and that's what led to his decision to abdicate the papacy. What is the status of it? I even wonder if it still exists. Does it exist anywhere? And if that red dossier came out, it would explode in the news. But I have no idea. I've not. Ever since I did research for the book back in 2018, 19, I haven't heard anything, anything in the past two years on the dossier. Where is it? Who knows? Michael Levesque or Levesque. What about O'Malley? What about him? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's in Boston. Um, never. I once walked next to him, walked walk past him on the street in Rome. Uh, yeah, I mean he's he's definitely uh, pro Francis. I don't. He's not he's not a power broker anymore, like Supich or Gregory. His days his day is over. I, I, you got to realize that the, that kind of old guard, which was sort of Archbishop Gomez, Cardinal Dolan, O'Malley, that group, which kind of had some influence under Ben the Sixteenth, they've all been sidelined. Right, it, Supich is the hub and the spokes go around soupage. All right, I'll take a few more uh, questions. Again, please leave the question marks on there. It really helps. All right, Scott Ritz. Does uniting the clans only happen if Ecclesia Day joins the SSPX due to existing infrastructure? Uh, so Ecclesia Day was the... Uh, institution that was sort of a subset it housed inside the congregation of the doctrine of faith and it oversaw the traditional latin mass communities like fraternity of saint peter and institute of christ the king pope francis dissolved ecclesia day it's goners it doesn't exist so we now say former ecclesia day communities that's the proper way to refer to it um no so uniting the clans it's been going around 
I think Michael Matt at Remnant TV is the one who coined it. He took it from Braveheart, you know, the whole idea of, you know, we're stronger together. We can fight the English, the enemies there. If we come, if we unite the clans and we become strong. Uh, I don't think unite the clans necessarily means that we all, all traditional groups collapse into one entity. In fact, I think that might be dangerous. Uh, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. The way Michael Matt uses Unite the Clans and the way that I have sort of followed uh, in his example and in his footsteps is Unite the Clans is really more of a lay idea. We're not saying everyone should become SSPX or FSSP or Institute of Christ the King or SETE or whatever. I think what it means is there's collaboration on the ground with traditionally uh, with traditional Catholics. Right. Like. I'm going to pray the rosary with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you find if you say, hey, where do I find a traditional Latin mass? I'm going to help you find a traditional Latin mass. To me, it doesn't matter what the letters are behind. The name of that chapel. So I think Unite the Clans is is more of a, and yes, we can debate and discuss um, the merits of the option chosen by Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. We can debate the option chose by Father Bizic and the fraternity of St. Peter or the way the Institute of Christ the King works with a local diocese. Is that healthy or not healthy? Uh, we can talk about sede vacantists, uh, bishops without jurisdiction. Uh, all these things I think we can discuss, but I think we can be my opinion, people disagree with me. My opinion is we can collaborate, pray for one another, work with one another to bring about whatever our Lord Jesus Christ wants to manifest, hopefully as a restoral of the Roman church and the Roman rite and um, true sanctity, piety. All right. I'm going to do two more questions. Ivan says, I don't, can we get different cardinals together? I don't know what that means. Uh, can you, Ivan, can you be a little bit more specific? And I'll, I'll try to answer it. Can we organize a right-wing St. Gallen counter-coup? No, that's not what we want to do. Okay, this is not the GOP Republicans versus the Democrats, right? We are going to beat them by reform. We are going to beat them God willing, by the power of the Holy Ghost, by sanctity, by conversions, by vocations to the monastic life, by large families where the children are catechized properly and stay in the faith. That's the solution. We, we have to build a society. It's, it's not about lobbying. Definitely not. Definitely. I think that's a temptation that the devil might put before us. We don't want a right-wing St. Gallen Mafia. My opinion, dad of the webcam. All right, one more question. Let's see. Looking just to make sure there's no, no Patreons on here that I'm overseeing, that I'm missing. 
One more. Can we unite the legitimate Cardinals? I mean, the Cardinals are legitimate. Um, can we unite them? Cardinals are in the history of the church are rarely united. Um, I don't even know how we would do that. I mean, do we do we write them letters? Do we have them all meet in a conference room at a at a Hilton? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think right now we have a crisis. We have a house on fire. Uh, there is confusion and disappointment and discouragement and embarrassment with Francis Bergoglio. That has to be addressed. It has to be addressed. A An idol, a Pachamama idol. It was not the Virgin Mary. Francis said it wasn't the Virgin. An idol was placed in St. Peter's Basilica. A statue, an idol of Martin Luther was placed in the Vatican. I mean, what is going on here? Vatican money was used to create Rocket Man, Elton John biopic. What what's going on here? This has to be addressed, right? It's not just well. Let's just elect a new guy. No, the damage exists now. The dumpster is on fire. I mean, you can get a new dumpster, but that fire is going to leap into the new dumpster. We have to address the elephant in the room. I honestly think it's going to take someone like Cardinal Burke or another Cardinal to stand up and say, we have a major problem right now. It's time to admonish the Pope. We must admonish him two to three times, as Paul says, or as Bellarmine says too, and then move forward canonically. That's the charitable thing to do. It's the traditional thing to do. To me, it's the rational canonical thing to do. All right. Well, thanks for watching, everyone. Um, if you like this video, go ahead and click the thumbs up. That's the one where the thumb goes up. Uh, like this video. Share this video on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, I always say YouTube is not super excited about Catholic tradition, Catholic theology and history. So this channel is not going to get promoted viral by YouTube. That's up to you. You are my algorithm. So underneath this video on your phone or on your desktop, there's a share button, hit share, and then share it on Facebook. And your friends, your family will see it, watch it, it'll spread around. And then if you're new, the most important thing you can do is subscribe. You can do that in the bottom right corner or underneath the video, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. The bell will force YouTube to notify you every time I go live. And I go live, try to go live at least three times a week. So please do subscribe and you'll be notified. All right, we're going to close up here with the Hail Mary. We'll pray it in Latin. And this is for the Cardinals, that they seek Jesus Christ first. Nomini Patris, Epidi, et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or nobis peccatoribus, Nuc et or mortis nostri. Amen. All holy popes, pray for us. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, thanks for watching. Thanks to all the Patreons who make this show possible. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and God bless.